0: Hi everybody, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to this episode of the What's Next podcast, where I have the wonderful honor and pleasure of welcoming Melissa Daimler to the show today. She is the Chief Learning Officer at Udemy, a leading destination for learning and teaching online. Prior, she launched Daimler Partners, a boutique advisory and coaching company that worked with founders and leaders to help them design and scale their culture. She also created and built learning and organizational development functions for Adobe, Twitter, and WeWork. Melissa, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Tiffany. It's great to be
0: here. Well, as you know, we never, ever get into the great conversation until we do bullish and bearish, nothing too painful. Bullish, you're for it. Bearish, you're against it. Are you ready? I am. All right. The first one, artificial intelligence coaching, bullish or bearish?
1: Uh, I'm bullish on that. Yeah. I I think as a compliment to
0: human coaching, it's great. Okay. Good. Next one. Traveling to the moon. Um,
1: I think I'm bullish for others. (laughs) I don't
0: know if I want to be one of the first passengers right now, but I would say I'm bullish on that. Okay. The next one. And final one, virtual reality education. I am bullish on the idea.
1: I am not bullish on where it is today. I think we have much more work to do to make it more of the kind of experience that would be worth us having that virtual experience.
0: Yeah, and I think part of it also is, look, we have to give people reasons and an experience that they would want to do something like that. Exactly. And, and I think, you know, it's still a little immature, but we have to get people excited about it and people investing in it in order to make it, you know, whatever that may be. But yes. I am, I am super bullish on democratizing education, which I'm guessing you are as well, considering where you work, yes. right. To give for access sure. to everybody for, yep. for, for the education. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can start at the high level for those people who don't know who, what, what you guys do and, and what your mission is.
1: Yeah, so that is a huge reason why I joined Udemy is, you know, our our whole mission is to improve lives through learning. And we provide flexible and effective skills development for both individuals and organizations. Um, We are an online learning platform. I, I think one of the reasons I was bullish about coming is While we're known for that and a lot of our video content, we have hundreds of thousands of of courses. And what's great about it is it's always the latest technology or the latest piece of knowledge that is shared with the world because all of our instructors are always one step ahead of, of so many other ed tech companies. So that is a huge differentiator for us um and we're also looking at different learning modalities so as you said you know kind of virtual reality is definitely a modality that i can see us looking at in the future but right now we're we're looking at ways to not just consume skills but to actually acquire that skill set so what does it mean to be a more active learner so around the the some of the coding classes we have more labs now and assessments and ways for you to Um, understand if you actually acquired a skill set. From a leadership development standpoint, we just started getting into more of that. My favorite kind of learning is cohort learning, kind of learning from each other, bringing in the reality of your day-to-day work, using that as a playground to apply some of those things that you're learning, because I think that's where we best learn. So, that was a huge reason I joined and I have a pretty unique job because I not only get to work on internal learning and development for all of our what we call you um, but I also get to have a hand in our product and solutions and also work with customers. So I get to directly um, talk with them about their strategy and solutions. I learn from them. And so it's very much kind of a thought leadership, thought partnership conversation. So it's a never a dull moment in this job. And I really love it. It's been a year in September.
0: Well, I'm a firm believer that if people, me included, and I I say this about myself, that if you're not invested in your own learning journey, why would anybody else be invested in your learning journey? Like, you know, you have to stay curious and that sounds so cliche, You always have to learn. And if, you know, whether you agree with or don't agree with the World Economic Forum's prediction that I think it's by 2026, 2025, that 50% of the skills are going to have to be sort of relearned. And that doesn't mean you forget everything you know, but you have to constantly be looking to enhance and uh, be be this sort of student of your profession, quote unquote, and whatever that profession is, whether you're a teacher, a graphic designer, you -hmm. know, whether you're in sales or marketing or whatever it might be. Like there's always something new um, and that should keep you excited about it. Uh, But I would say that on the flip of that, when I say those things I just said, I often hear I don't have the time. Like I don't have the time to give to that development or my employer that I work for culturally doesn't really invest in my career development. And so they're trapped between two things. One, I don't have time. Or two, where I'm working is not necessarily investing in my development. What what do you say to people, you know, who may be listening to this, or even leaders who are also feel equally trapped, right? That they can't get maybe the executive team to invest in it either. What what's what's your sort of thoughts around that?
1: Well, I, I would say that it's one of the reasons I wrote the book because uh, on reculturing, because I I heard that a lot, and I I think that. One of the issues that learning and development uh, has been grappling with for so many years is exactly this. Like, I don't have time. I think it's we don't have the connection. You know, we're 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 thinking we keep thinking about learning as training or an add on to the work that we already do versus providing more of a contextual connection as to why you're even bothering. So if I know that culturally, and you know, by culture, I mean how we work together, those behaviors, if I know that always learning is a value, which is one of ours here, and one of those behaviors that we're trying to cultivate is um, having constructive debate to make decisions, then learning the skill of debate becomes much more contextual and meaningful for me because i know that that's important to the company that's important for me to be successful here and it's also important for me when i get feedback uh on the on the road to being promoted i'm going to be evaluated on that how i get recognized so i don't think we've done a good job in general at a lot of companies in Connecting what it is we're supposed to learn to how it's going to be useful for not just your job but also you as a leader. I mean, we all know that a lot of employees. I mean, I I have stayed. I was at Adobe for almost eleven years. And when I tell my employees that, they just they're blown away. So I I think the average tenure of any employee now is uh, a couple of years. And so if you can help them become better in the current company they're in and help them become just great leaders and great humans in general that they can take wherever they go next, I think that that's the focus that we want to have.
0: Yeah. And I I would say that this is where you almost have to trust the process of if I make those investments in myself, it may not pay off today or tomorrow, but it might be a week from now or a month from now or a quarter from now. But it's also about preparing yourself for what you might want to do. I mean, I'll just take myself as an example. I in my 30s, I changed jobs every 18 months, Hmm. like which was at that time a higher risk. I was a higher risk because I was changing jobs so often. Yeah. But I was looking for more challenge. I was looking to learn more, like have more responsibility. And the fastest way for me to do that was change jobs, right? Because there was no sort of career mobility, but it also required me to learn a lot of new things really, really quickly because going from an individual contributor to sort of a team lead, to a manager, to, you know, really you're leading an entire business and then a and and it's a fortune 500 yeah. company. Like there's no sort of coursework that makes you go from individual contributor to quote unquote leader or manager. Right? Mm-hmm. It's, right. And so I just did what I could do. And did I get it all right? Absolutely not. But the combination of me, taking classes. At the time, there wasn't all the access to things uh, that we have today, like you know your platform and others, that I would have to read a book or read a magazine or have conversations. Yeah. And so I'm a visual listen learner, not a read learner. So I also had to find where I learned best. And once I understood that, then I was just trying to surround myself with those opportunities to learn in the modality that I wanted right. to learn in. That's great.
1: Those are great examples. I also think if there's this idea of, I mean, we call it social learning. Again, I think I think good learning from my perspective is always social. Um, I, I think if we can actively share with each other as well, you know, who we're working with, whether that's our manager, or our colleagues, or even our team, some of those skills that we're trying to improve upon, um, that becomes... Much more meaningful as well. And so, even if it is a book or an article that you may be reading in an asynchronous way, to be able to come back and you know we even have moments in our team meetings to say, "Hey, not everybody, but does anybody want to share something that they learned to, learned this week or today?" Every quarter, we focus on everybody sharing what it is they they want to develop. What skill set are they developing? And so, how can we, in the day to day experience, even virtually, help each other learn that? You know, maybe I'm working on a project that, you know, has some skills that one of my colleagues wants to learn more about. Um, and so, I might invite them in to to help me out with that. So, I think it's also continuing to think about learning as not just that formal piece, but also every day, to your point, if we're curious enough, every day is a learning lab. You know we can we can learn something from from everybody.
0: Well, so let's pivot a little bit because I you know I think that uh, we might have said everything we just said in 2019, right? And then all of a sudden, 2020 to 2022, you know, sort of depending on where you're listening to this in the world, we're in very different situations. I feel like, you know, the statement of we're all in the same storm, but we are in different boats um, Mm -hmm. is is valid here, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we've had conversations, okay, it's going to be hybrid only. It's going to be remote only. It's going to be back to the office. You see companies... You know, pivoting, okay, get back to the office. And then they get pushed back. And then that's going to be hybrid. And okay, okay, it's, you know, January 1st. No, it's October 1st. No, it's next year. You know, everyone is really struggling okay. with what is this best way to do this? And I think going back to a few things you were saying, connection, social, like all that gets so much more difficult in this hybrid world of, I'm motivated, I'm committed, I'm satisfied, I'm engaged, I'm learning, I'm challenged. Like, those are a lot of demands to do in isolation of your home, um, you know, in a hybrid environment. So, what do you say when executives or leaders come to you and say, look, we're really trying to do all the things we just talked about, but we have this cohort of people who are back in the office, and then we have this cohort of people who are going to be, remain hybrid um, or something in between that? What are the ways in which you can shore that up so that there's an, as even of an experience as you possibly could deliver uh, culturally, but hybrid in culture. Let's, let's land there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I I would say the, the word that I'm using a lot and that I'm hearing a lot is intentional. Intentional. I think you know, when you say two thousand and nineteen, I think some of the stuff we I talked about in two thousand ten, <laughs> but everything I feel like in the last couple of years have become has become more amplified. And all the things that we knew we were supposed to be doing as leaders and even employees, we have to do in a much more intentional way now. And so I think culture, is, is such a loaded word. It's one of the other reasons I, I wrote the book is because I didn't realize this, but it's been around for 70 years as a concept. And I just found myself as a practitioner grappling with all of these nebulous and fuzzy definitions of what culture is. You know, it's the organization's personality. It's what, what happens when the boss leaves the room. Somebody said it was leaves on a tree. And I just, I felt like based on my own experience, you can design intentional cultures the the thing is it can't be based on what's in the office i think we got a little lazy by talking about and even conflating culture with the ping pong tables and the free donuts and you know the happy hours and what i have always experienced culture to be in the you know some of the the best companies that i've worked in is culture is how work happens between people it's how work gets done, and it goes even beyond the values. I think a lot of companies stop there, like, oh, okay, well, I, I, you know, have an even better definition. It's values, which is great, but that still doesn't codify, you know, how you know Salesforce is different than than Udemy. So if if two companies have the value of innovation, one company might say behaviorally, we actually want to go faster. We think we should prototype quickly. We think we should um, move in a, in a much faster way than we are today, with from idea to version one. Another company I was working with said, innovation is definitely a value. We need to slow down and have better ideas that are that are quality. And so one of their behaviors was we ask each other why. And so I, I think the behaviors are so key because they can they take that to the next level. Um, to the day-to-day work that we're doing. Um, And then if we do that right and we nail the behaviors, we can then integrate those into all of the things we're already doing. So how we hire, how we onboard, how we um, recognize people, how we promote, all those things get easier if we've already created a playbook for how to work together. So I I think um, this is resonating for people because, as you said, it doesn't. It's agnostic of an, of an office. We can we can think about and work through how to work together by actively making sure we're exemplifying those behaviors and reinforcing them through our kind of daily practices.
0: Yeah, I'd say that when when the pandemic first hit, you know, and kind of everyone went home, there was a hard pivot. Okay, how do we maintain? Mm-hmm collaboration and teamwork mm-hmm. and feeling like you belong and all of the things that went along with, with the culture that I work in, which gets you know praised often. So clearly we're doing something right. Yes, for sure. But I would say a couple months in, we found the gaps. Okay, people were burning out. They didn't feel like they understood what was happening. And so then all of a sudden communication really stepped up, right? Weekly all hands with the executive team yes. and our and our board of directors. Like it was everybody and then a Slack channel, right? That we could post any questions and the executives would answer. And then, you know, and it was an all hands, all hands, like every Wednesday for a year. And then it went to, you know, every other. And now it's sort of once Mm -hmm. a month because, you know, now we're sort of in a new cadence. Um, But I think the collaboration um, and connection was trying to be balanced with burnout, which I think, you know, people at the remote having to work harder to stay connected and, be part of it. And, you know, kind of productivity spiked. And now we're seeing productivity decline in the U.S. We're seeing burnout kind of flattening. And so I I think there's lots to be said for understanding what is your culture, first and foremost, what does it stand for, and the intention behind it, obviously, as you've just said. But it's also not just how the culture interacts with each other, but it's also how the culture interacts with its customers, the communities, partners, you know, and everything else. And I think that adds a layer of complexity to how can people who are working remote still feel connected, you know, and still feel engaged and still feel that they are appreciated and also rewarded. There's a whole conversation around if you don't work in the office, you're going to have a harder time getting a promotion because no one's going to see you. And so, what what do you say to those things? Well, I
1: think some of the things you just mentioned are are great examples. I mean, I, I talk about practices, which you know I consider to be some of the things that you said. So all hands, communication, ways that we connect with each other, um how we run our meetings, how we make decisions. I think um, all of those practices that just kind of happened, kind of pre-pandemic, need to be reviewed on a consistent basis. You know, one of the one of the myths I dispel in this book is that culture is a one and done thing. I think culture is active. It is a continuous act of of um, behaviors and actions that we take. And I, I think that we need to continue to look at like you did at Salesforce, like, hey, you know we need to meet weekly now and you know after a review after that got momentum and we saw that people were connecting we maybe don't need to meet weekly now i i think there needs to be a much greater intention on all of those ways that we connect and interact and and find out and work with your team to figure out you know what's working. We used to have, my team used to have a a meeting every week. Now we're doing bi-weekly. The way that we're running that meeting is different. It's now much more about ideas and collaborating with each other versus updates because we're doing that in an asynchronous way. So I I think, you know, if we use the office as one more tool in our toolkit, rather than this is good and this is bad, I, I think we can reframe uh, how we're working all together.
0: Well, you also have situations, and I know you've worked, uh, you know, you uh, have worked with um, companies that have gotten culture wrong. Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
0: and, and I'm, you know, <laughs> a little, yeah. And I, you, you can say names, I'm not going to, but you know, if, yeah, if, you know, you've tried to, to fix culture at a few establishments that have gotten this wrong. Where did the bell get sounded that uh oh something's wrong? And then when you came in and started to work with them, what what was what did you find initially?
1: I think one of the the big aha moments for me was this whole idea. You know, at, at WeWork they had actually brilliant values. I'll, I'll say it because I said it in the book. The problem was those did not show up anywhere in the day to day work. So you would have a value of teamwork, but then when it came to feedback or it even came to um, hiring, none of no questions were about teamwork or um, how people collaborated with each other. When it came to promotions, family members got promoted, not people who were good at teamwork. So I, I think there was a huge going back to to your great point of gaps. There was a huge gap between what was being said versus what was being experienced and then what starts to happen is trust starts to erode you people feel unsafe because they just don't know what the guidelines are or what the expectations are so it's a it's not a, a very powerful place to be as an employee another piece i talk about in the book is this idea between Um, strategy and culture, you know, Peter Drucker had that famous quote, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I joke that they should hang out for breakfast together because I think they're equally important. I think they can leverage each other in ways that we're not currently leveraging them. So um, I think WeWork lost its way. You know, I mean, it was a great model for real estate and they got that whole model of design down But, you know, then it got into wave pools and then it got into education in in ways that they couldn't support. And every time those shifted, we didn't kind of take a step back and reflect, Okay, first of all, is that the right focus area as a business and a strategy? And if so, how are we working together? So bringing in that cultural component, who are the leaders that are helping us achieve this, this business strategy? What are the skills that we need to to ensure that they have to help us get there? So, I I am a big believer in connecting kind of the the purpose, the why, the strategy, the what, and the culture, the how. And I don't think that was reviewed as an ongoing practice at WeWork.
0: And I think some of that happens with just hyper growth. You can yeah. sort of do no wrong, right? And by brute force, things just happen because your employees are committed to the overall cause and sometimes, you know, irrespective or in spite of these huge, massive gaps, right? I mean, yeah. it's just, and so I know that you, you've you also uh, did some in, in in the book as well, this sort of in hyper growth, not losing that culture and understanding, do we need to slow down to speed up, right? Yeah. Speed is not necessarily, you know, your friend if you're looking to do a look back and go, it's okay, we'll get to it in 12 months or 24 months. And then all of a sudden you've gotten bigger and it's gotten more difficult to fix. And so mm-hmm. if, if someone's in hyper growth mode or is growing or wants to acquire or really kind of put their foot on the gas of of the revenue in the company, what are the things you would advise them to do to not lose their way on what we've just said? That's sort of the why, the what, and the how.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I'm a big believer in uh, being a systems thinker. So being able, always looking at your organization as a system. So to your point, I used to hear all the time, especially in some startups that I was working with, hey, we'll just get to culture later. Like we just have to focus on getting revenue, getting product market fit, all of those areas. And I just, I think that's the wrong strategy. I I think, you know, you don't have to do everything that I talk about in the book, but at least get clear on how you want to work together, and you know the kind of practices that you want to reinforce with employees, because I, I think that uh, we're always creating culture, whether by design or by default. so we might as well be designing it intentionally. So that's a big thing. and when you're when you're changing one thing from a systems perspective, you need to be looking at all of those other things that it could be pulling. So if you're shifting the strategy, obviously look at, you know, some of the behaviors and values, and you might want to look at the organizational structure. You might want to look at the people in that structure, the skill set piece. So I, I think sometimes when you're growing fast, you can become it it becomes myopic or you know, just focused on one thing, the revenue and all of this other stuff is falling apart in the background. So I, I think we make a mistake often as leaders when we're just focused on revenue and we'll get to everything else later.
0: Well, this has been such a fantastic conversation and so timely, but you know, I'd love for people to Uh, learn how they can keep in touch with you besides the obvious. So for everybody listening, right, the name of her book is Reculturing, Design Your Company Culture to Connect with Strategy and Purpose for Lasting Success. So I'd say first and foremost, obviously pick up the book, but second, you know, how else can they uh, keep in touch with you and your work and and really follow along on this journey? So you can go to melissadeimler.com, my website,
1: And I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit under Melissa Daimler. I'm also on Instagram, M Daimler, and Twitter as well, Melissa Daimler.
0: Excellent. Well, Melissa, this has been so much fun. You know, I think that um, it's such a learning, stretching people. (laughs) is such a timely topic always, to your point. It's something we should always be talking about and making sure that our people have everything they need to be successful and show up every day. So thank you for all the work that you do and all the work at Udemy to make sure that people are gonna show up and be their best selves every day. So any, any final words?
1: I love your whole point about staying curious. Stay curious and, and always focus on what you are learning next a good
0: principle to live by. Couldn't say it better (laughs) myself. What's next is always important. Well, thank you so much, Melissa, for joining us today on this podcast. Uh, It was an honor to have you and we'll look forward to keeping up with all your great work. Thank you.